Uh, welcome to our family gathering this morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, we're in a series in Acts that we're calling Uncharted, uh, reorienting to the God who subverts and surprises. I had a bit of a surprise this week uh, with a, a dental emergency that happened first on Tuesday. I got kind of a piece of food caught in my gum, and that got infected and ended up swelling up to a large size. Yeah, well, I mentioned this for a couple reasons. One, it's, it's why I look like I'm squirreling away like 12, I don't know, cheese puffs in my cheek right now. But it is getting better, thankfully, I'm on antibiotics. And the second reason I mention it is because I was also on pain medications when I was writing this sermon. So if anything sounds crazy, that could be the reason. It's not for sure. If it doesn't sound crazy and everything makes sense and the Spirit speaks, it's because it's the Spirit, okay? And somehow He has uh, turned my crazy week into uh, something of use for the kingdom. So that's what I'm praying. Anyway, so we are in Acts. It is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, incidentally, we, I didn't plan it this way, but we are looking at the story of Pentecost on the, how, on the day that the church celebrates this event. Uh, lo and behold. Throughout this series, though, we're highlighting the stories where God either subverts the expectations and assumptions of His people, or when He surprises them by introducing a new reality that they couldn't see before. Times when they're Frames for perceiving reality got in the way of seeing what God was doing. And we're discovering that this uh, experience is common with God's people. We're always in need of reorientation to God's presence in His activity because we carry these assumptions and expectations with us and they constantly get in the way of being able to see what God is doing. And, And so if we're God's people, if we're following Jesus as the people in Acts are doing, Uh, then we want to become the kind of people who are able to pivot to the surprising, subversive work of God, who learn how to meet God in reality, to to catch up to Him, as it were, to what He's really doing in us and through us. Does that sound good? So last week we began with a surprising way that God is present to us. Even though He ascends bodily, the disciples watch Him disappear into the heavens, But because He's Lord, He's present among us in a different way, in a new way. And He's present as we bear witness to the kingdom. Today we're going to see another surprising reality in Acts 2. So we're going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 17. This is what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember that. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Parthians, 
Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I'm not sure how wine gives you other people's speech, but that's the conclusion that they came to. And then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who, are, who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Friends, the good news that we proclaim today is that you no longer need to do something great to be something great. You no longer need to do something great to be something great. Friends, the Holy Spirit has come. And in Jesus, God eternally entered into our experience, empathizing with all of our brokenness, sin and shame, meeting us where we most need His presence and His power. And now, through this Spirit, the same God shares the power of presence with us. Just as He came to be with us in solidarity, empathy, harmony, oneness, love, He now sends us out to do the very same thing for others in supernaturally ordinary ways. So today, friends, today, be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive all the power that God wants to pour into your life and through your life. Um, I was a Christian for less than two years. I came to faith at 21 in college when I went to a conference my senior year called Life Options. So Life Options Conference was a two-day event. It was designed to help graduating seniors like me decide how they were going to glorify God for the rest of their lives. No pressure. In other words, we were um, discerning this question. Are you going to go into ministry, ministry, or are you going to go into a secular career? This was the big choice. And behind this question was another question that everyone at the conference assumed that the answer to would be a resounding yes. And here's the question. You want to do something great for God, don't you? You want to do something great for God, don't you? You want to do something great for God, don't you? This is the pep rally. This question was framed in like 25 different ways again and again and again over the course of two days. You want to change the world for Jesus, don't you? Of course you do. Of course you do. And we're here to help you find out how you're going to do that. I was recently reflecting on this do something great for God mentality and how it's influenced me at several times both in my life and in my ministry. One of those times happened to be on a trip to Haiti, and I mentioned this, uh, this particular circumstance because of its relation to what we just studied or just looked at in the book of Acts with this idea of being given new languages. I was there with a, a team of people 
as we often, you know, sent people to the community in Shadrach, and I was scheduled to preach the next day in the church in one of their, in one of the seven churches in the community. Uh, and so I was up late studying my notes. I believed that God had a word for these people who were I'd become friends with and loved them and they loved me. But I started to get this idea in my head that maybe, just maybe, God would give me the ability to preach in Creole even though I didn't know the language well enough to do it. I thought, it happened in the book of Acts. How awesome would it be if I go to preach this word that I believe that God has put on my heart for these people, I open my mouth in English, and they hear Creole. And so I spent most of the night not studying my notes about what I would say. I spent my, most of my night praying for this to happen. Now, um, let's say six years later, I'm going to make a confession to you all. Uh, that my motivation wasn't 100% pure. It wasn't completely for the people that I was being sent to. It wasn't necessarily to love and empathize and connect with my audience. There was a large portion of me that was motivated by the desire to impress, to receive authority and honor, to be remembered as someone who did something great that one Sunday in Haiti. Can you relate to this? Now, maybe I think this the need to do cosmic eternal stuff that matters to God, it drives a lot of Christianity. Maybe it's not preaching in another language in a far off land. Maybe it's trying to raise kids that love Jesus so that when you're done with them, you'll hear them say like at their wedding or their baptism, I owe everything to my mom, to my dad. Maybe it's being a Christian at work and hoping that people will take notice and, and when they come to faith, ascribe the fact that you were the one that prayed the prayer with them. Maybe you serve and you serve and you serve and you serve and you never say a word, but secretly you hope that someone will appreciate, someone will notice, someone will give you the acclamation that you so desire. Friends, the good news today is that we no longer need to do something great to be something great. God isn't waiting around for you to do something for Him that matters. Friends, the Holy Spirit has come. In Jesus, God eternally enters into our experience. He empathizes with all of our condition, brokenness, sin, shame. He meets us where we most need His presence and power. And now through the Spirit, we don't do something great for God. God, this same God, shares the power of presence with us. Just as He came to be with us in solidarity, empathy, harmony, oneness, love, He now fills us and sends us to do the same for others in supernaturally ordinary ways. So today, don't go and do something great. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the power that God is ready to pour into your life. Now, we just looked at Acts 2, and in Acts 2, it seems like there are 120 men and women who are doing something great for God, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty stinking great. That's why I prayed that prayer in Haiti. (laughs) 
I wanted the same thing that they had, right? Sign me up. Although it doesn't seem like the crowds think that this is great because at first they confuse their joy for drunkenness. And I love Peter's explanation of this. He goes, it's only nine in the morning. Now this has nothing to do with the rest of what I'm going to say this morning, but I had to say it anyway. Notice that Peter does not say, we Christians would never do that sort of thing. He says to them, we would never do that sort of thing this early. That's all I got to say about it. But what exactly are they doing? They're speaking in languages that are not their own to Jews from every nation under heaven who are staying in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Now, what is the Feast of Pentecost? The Feast of Pentecost celebrates the birth of Israel. When God gave Israel through Moses the law or the Torah at Sinai. And it it was also associated with the harvest of wheat. It was God providing what they needed. So God speaks and God works, and this is the celebration of God's presence and activity. Now this this is the power that Jesus promised would come when they waited. Remember, he said this to them. If you wait, the power is going to come on you. And it comes with all the associated imagery of God's arrival. Wind blows as it does in Genesis 1 when God creates order from chaos. Fire comes down, purifying presence, descending not on a building, as John said, but separating and resting on each person. People, young, old, men, women, are now filled with God to speak God's Torah. This is the birth not of Israel. This is the birth of the church. This is who we are. Now here's the rub. In order to understand the significance of this power and why it's given to these 120 women and men, we have to go back to the time when it was taken away. The time when it was taken away. Because it's the contrast between when it's taken away and when it's given back that we see what God is up to and why he shares his power with his people. What's the story of when it was taken away? Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. Now, we preached on this over a year ago. I don't expect you to remember anything. It's been a minute. But it's the story of a great people who built a great city, and they decided to construct a tower reaching up to the heavens. Now, their desire was not to go up and replace God. It was to create a name for themselves. It was to say to the other nations around them, look how powerful we are. Look how great we are. Look how impressive. The tower wasn't a staircase to get to heaven. It was an ancient Near Eastern ziggurat inviting God to come down for the purpose of gaining or showing divine approval for their power project. Now the only problem with this is that God didn't approve. If you remember Genesis 11, verses 5-7, to God says this, Come, let us go down. Good news, right? They're coming down. God's coming down. But He doesn't come down to bless. He comes down to confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building, and the Lord says this, 
If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Nothing will be impossible for them. And so God removes the ability for them to speak with one another. Now, what is God thwarting by removing the ability to communicate? What is God keeping them from doing? This is the important question, and it leads to Acts 2. See, we think of language as just the ability to transfer information, as if God's primary purpose was for them to stop building the tower. It's getting a little too tall. They're going to be like God. No, that's not it. See, because language is more than that. Language is the summation of one's culture, and it's the way that one culture transmits their value system from, from themselves onto other people. So, language in the wrong hands is often a tool of powerful empires to force less powerful people to assimilate to their culture, their hegemony, their way of life. In other words, it's a, it's a means to greatness through domination and control. We will make you like us, whether you want it or not. Subjugated people like the Jews know well that language is used this way. We here in America don't think of it that way because we're not subjugated people. But in Genesis 11, God doesn't confuse their language because they built a large tower. He's not intimidated by the people of Babel. He confuses their language because they cannot be trusted with the power of having a single language. Because if their aim is to make a name for themselves, then in their search for greatness, they will inevitably erase the names, the identities, the languages of other peoples in the quest for more power. Are you getting me? Do you see it? Friends, this is the legacy of empires throughout history. Rome forces their colonized people to speak Latin. Spain forces South and Central Americans to speak Spanish. The French force African nations to adopt their language. It's a reason that most African nations have French as one of their languages. This is a legacy of supremacy and colonialism. English is forced first on the colonies of the British Empire and then on the Native American tribes and enslaved Africans by the United States. Over and over again, language is used to conquer, to assimilate, to subjugate. It's the tool of supremacists seeking to make themselves great. This is what God is opposed to at Babel. This is why God gets so jacked up about the way that they're using their language. It's why he removes this power from those who will not use it for human flourishing. And I contend today that this removal by God is an act of love because they cannot be trusted with it in their need for significance through power. They can't be trusted. We have to reckon with this way that language is used and abused by corrupted power to see what's happening here at Pentecost and why it's so stinking amazing and why it's available to us today. 
And so we proclaim the good news that we no longer need to do something great to be something great. Our search for significance, friends, is over because the Holy Spirit has come. In Jesus, God has eternally entered into our experience, empathizing with our condition, meeting us where we most need His presence and power. You are significant in His eyes. And now through the Spirit, this same God, He gives away His power to His kids. The power of presence. So just as He came to be with us, In solidarity, empathy, harmony, oneness, love, He now sends us out with the same power to do the same thing for other people in radically ordinary ways. So today, be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the power that God wants to pour into and through your life. Back to Acts 2. Notice, the disciples go out from the upper room and they're joyfully speaking of God's wonderful works in various languages. This is Babel undone. And the major difference here is that when people hear what they are saying, the the recipients of the language are not the ones given the ability to hear a new language. Notice this. These people from every nation are not assimilated to the language of Hebrew or the language of Greek or Latin which is what we would expect. We would expect that if God was going to work, He would make everyone look the same and and hear the same thing. Assimilate them into the language of holiness and the language of power. Right? How many of you, when you think of heaven, think that we're all going to speak the same language? There will be some heavenly tongue that we are given And no longer will we take with us the cultures that we've been a part of, but we will all assimilate into one culture. It's not the picture we get here. And if this is a preview of heaven, then our picture is wrong, friends. God doesn't assimilate us into one culture and erase our history and our language and our values and our identities. He comes to meet us in those differences. And that's key. That is so key. See, what has the people from all these different nations amazed, perplexed, is what they say in verse 7 and 8. Aren't these people from Galilee? How is it that they're speaking and we hear them, not in Hebrew or Greek, but in our own native languages? I hear them in the languages of the places where I come from. Willie James Jennings calls this the inside talk. It's the kind of speaking you do with each other when you're so familiar with the language, with the idioms and the values of a people that you speak it as a member of that people and family. You speak it as one among them. This is even beyond fluency. This is understanding not just the words, the syntax, the grammar. This is understanding the people that developed those language tools. You see the difference? The reason that this is happening isn't because the disciples 
are trying to make themselves sound great or holy or pious or spiritual. It is a sign to these people who've been dominated and forced to speak the language of their colonizers that God Himself is now entering into their culture, their story, their language and experience. He values them as they are for who they are and meets them on their ground. Not as a colonizer, but as a servant. See, to speak a language is to speak a people, and God speaks people fluently. And this makes sense. This makes sense if you know the story of Jesus. This is what the incarnation is all about. That God loves people and comes into their condition to speak their language and experience the real humanity. Our food, our faces, our songs, our poetry, the things that make us happy and sad, our plans and practices, our work and our play. At Pentecost, the crowd is amazed because God is still doing that work, friends. It hasn't changed. The picture that we receive in Jesus is the real God. And any picture that is less than that is not the God that we see in Jesus and it's not the real God. The only difference now is that God is doing it through the followers of Jesus rather than the Son of God Himself. See, God shares His Spirit with us that we might take up the same power that Jesus had. Not a different power. Not the power of making ourselves great. Not even the power of making God great. Not the power of becoming something or doing something great for God. It's the power of entering into another's experience. It's the power to learn another's perspective. The power to love and appreciate another's differences and to attune yourself to them in love so that you speak the wonders of God who is loved. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, As the Father sent me, so I send you. I send you in the same way I've been sent. However you see my posture in the world is the same posture I'm going to send you with. And I'm going to teach you how to do it. Friends, it bears repeating. This is not the kind of power the disciples imagined or hoped that they would receive when Jesus said to wait for it. They thought they were receiving the power of empire. The power of control. The power of domination. The power that the colonizers used against them. But now the Spirit has come and they are filled with the joy because God is giving them not the power to dominate, but the power to empathize, to commune, to become one with these scattered brothers and sisters, to sense the bad news at work in them and to speak the good news of Jesus in ways that liberate, to bring freedom. Friends, the power of the Holy Spirit isn't the power to make things happen or to make yourself great in the eyes of others. The power of God is to join people together in relationships of mutuality, submission, solidarity. It's the power of invitation and communion that makes different people one without erasing who they are. It's the power to enter into another's experience and witness to the God who enters into humanity to save us as one of us. The fact that we receive this power
from the Holy Spirit on the birthday of the church means that this is our, our birthright and our inheritance. Willie James Jennings, in his commentary on Acts, puts it this way, the same Spirit that was there from the beginning, hovering, brooding over in the, creation, in the joy of creation of the universe and of each one of us, who knows us together and individually in our most intimate places, has announced the divine intention through the Son to reach into our lives and make each life a sight of speaking glory. You are now that sight. Not a temple, not a bush, not the waters of creation. You. So you no longer need to do something great to be something great, friends. The Holy Spirit has come. Amen? In Jesus, God entered into our condition. He meets us where we most need His presence and His power. And now through the Spirit, this same God gives us the power of presence for others. Just as He came to be with us in solidarity, empathy, harmony, oneness, love, He now sends us out to do the same for others. So today, friends, be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the power God wants to pour into your life. I'm convinced that the church needs this good news, especially the the church in America. The evangelical church in America needs this good news because we have often, often been motivated by something other than the love of God. Something other than the desire to be present, to understand, and to empathize with those who are different from us. We may have used the gift of tongues or the size of our ministry or the number of baptisms performed or our watertight theology, but all of it is still used to make a name for ourselves, to signify how great we are over and above other people's even other peoples and parts of the church. We're not like those Christians. We're like these Christians. This shouldn't shock you to hear this, but the world is better at sniffing out this motivation than ever before. (laughs) And they are done with it. Completely and utterly done with it. They've seen it heard it, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and want nothing to do with it. And this is good news. Because as it turns out, they want nothing to do with it because it has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with Him. But friends, there's hope. There's hope for God's people. And there's hope for the church. What I love about Acts And the way that it begins in these first two chapters is that it begins with the disciples asking a question about empire. When are we going to get get to be in charge, Jesus? When are we going to get to dominate and control? And in the very next chapter, it shifts to being given the gift of empathy and presence to go out, not to dominate, but to attune themselves to people who are different from them. The disciples are shocked because they're like, I didn't know that God's love could flow through me like this. This is a different kind of power. But then again, this is what Joel, was, Joel said would happen to us. So why am I so surprised? The reason I love it is because it reminds me that even when our motivations are all jacked up, 
even when you want the gift of tongues to impress a group of Haitians, friends, God still meets us where we most need His presence and power. He still meets us. He still works in us. He still invites us to participate with Him. See, uh, that Sunday, God did not answer my prayer. I fumbled through that message I, probably because I was like distracted and unprepared and disappointed. Um, so the supernatural ability to preach in Creole was not granted to me that day. But what was granted to me was the ability to love my brothers and sisters who had already welcomed me as one of them. See, they didn't need me to be impressive. They needed to be seen and heard and reminded that God is with them and for them. And by God's grace, the Spirit made that happen in spite of the vessel that delivered it. God will share as much of Himself with you as you are possibly willing to bear. That's because He longs to turn us into the kinds of people that can love like Jesus loves. This isn't something that we beg God for or twist His arm or promise that we'll be especially good or holy to get. His number one goal in your life is to turn you into Jesus. (laughs) Not in a way that erases you, in a way that allows you to flourish. He wants to turn your life into something that can love like Jesus loved. He wants... And he wants this even more for you than you want it for yourself. So how do we get this power? Well, we get it the same way the disciples got it. By naming and laying down the ways that we misuse power. By reckoning with our jacked up motives and desires. We bring them into the light so that God can transform those things into love. Uh, just, I'm imagining the disciples in the upper room. They have this conversation with, with Jesus where they're told to wait and pray. And they've just asked Jesus if they're going to get the kingdom restored to Israel, if they're going to get to be like his cabinet members. That's the last time they talk to Jesus. And then Jesus says, go wait and pray. And now they're sitting in this upper room going, if it's not about that, what's it about? Right? Jesus, if your resurrection isn't about rebuilding Israel, then then by God's grace, rid us of that desire. Like, get it out of us. And fill us with a power that's fueled by the same love that we received from you. Whatever it's about, and whoever it's for, we're in. Show us. That's what repentance looks like. See, wherever we most want God's power in our life, that's where God, it's oftentimes where our our motivations for that gift are mixed at best. And so it's important to name and to notice what our motivations are and to be as honest as you can be with God and with other people about those motivations. So as we respond, as we conclude today, Where do you most want the power of God flowing through your life? Where do you want it? And here's the key. Why? 
What will that ding, what will that power do for you? The good news is that God already knows it. And by naming it, you come from a place of darkness and 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 lack of understanding about yourself and about God into the light of understanding, into the light of confession, into the light of transformation. Where do you want the power of God in your life? And why do you want it? If you're able to reckon with those two things, I promise you, friends, the good news will manifest itself in your life. That you don't need to do something great to be something great because the Holy Spirit has come. And just as the Spirit of God has come through Jesus to meet you where you most need Him, to empathize and understand both the good and the bad in you, the, the, the great motivations and the seedy underbelly of why you want to do stuff in life, just as He's ready to meet you in those things, He wants to send you out to do those same things for others. But you won't be able to do it until you're honest with Him because God meets us in our reality. So receive the Holy Spirit today, friends. Be filled and be changed so that you can be sent. Because the power that you want is the power that God wants for you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of love, harmony, oneness, empathy, that you stand in solidarity with us, no matter what our motivations are. Even if we want to do great things to be something great, you may take away the ability to do something great in your love for us so that we don't hurt ourselves and others. God, we thank you for that. But you also want us to look at our hearts honestly, openly, reflectively, so that we can meet you where you really are transforming us. We thank you that the same work that you want to do through us is the work that you want to do in us. We live one life. So God, would you meet us in this one life? And we ask for the Holy Spirit to come, to save, to rescue, to transform, to give us hope and love and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.